singing over me been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You've been so, so kind to me. I 
morning, everyone. And welcome to Fusion today. Whether you're joining us here in the room, whether you're online, we're really glad you're here. My name is Jackie, and I'm just really grateful to be able to be here and worship with you today. Um, we're going to jump in with the Christ candle reading, and Lisa is going to lead us in that today. Okay, hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Yes, let's praise him. Would you join us in stand and let's worship together.
Amen. You may be seated. Yes, the God of angel armies is always by our side. And he lifts us up on wings of eagles. At this time, um, I would like to dismiss the kids. They can head on downstairs. April's over there. You can follow her. And also, we are going to be serving communion this morning. So if you did not receive a little, um, little bit of juice and a little wafer, the little packet there, Tim is right there. If you would just raise your hand, and he will come and find you and make sure that everybody is taken care of here today. So let's, let's begin our time of prayer with words from Psalm 140. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, and many will see and they'll fear and they'll put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is a man who makes the Lord his trust who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O oh God, O oh Lord, are the wonders that you have done, the things that you have planned for us. No one can recount them. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many, too many to declare. Dearest Father, we are so privileged to be able to approach the throne of grace so freely. And we come with hearts of gratitude today to bless your name and to ask that your hand of blessing would be upon us. Thank you, Father, for loving us with an eternal love that stands firm even when we are unlovable. Thank you for being faithful, righteous, holy, and just, yet willing to see us, your children, through divine eyes of compassion mercy, forgiveness, and grace. Thank you for being a God of restoration and renewal in the midst of a broken and a very pain-filled world. Thank you for providing for our needs, directing our paths, and establishing our steps. In your sovereignty, Lord, as we freshly submit to your will, we ask your continued and blessed guidance over our children our grandchildren, our marriages, our families, our friends, and our loved ones. We ask your blessing and guidance over our country and our president and our governors and our senators, our representatives and local officials. We ask your blessing and guidance over our communities, our schools, our churches, and our workplaces. Please fill us with the presence of your joy and your peace and your patience and your goodness and your gentleness and your self-control today. Help us to serve others humbly for the sake of your name. Help us to be that light that shines in the darkness. Help us to see as you see and to love as you love. Lord, we pray that you heal our land. It is so very shattered. Arrest our fears and strengthen our faith. Give us what we need to face each day, day by day. There are so many within our own worshiping communities right now who need to feel your gentle, yet your steady grip as they face medical treatments, surgeries, fragile relationships, 
And we know, too, there are so many in our communities who have suffered the loss of loved ones. Holidays are going to be difficult. And, Lord, we just pray that in the midst of all of that, that they can find shelter in the shadow of your wings. In these unfamiliar territories, their lives will be uprooted. Be with them, Lord. Together, enable us to seek ways to walk alongside them, whether in practical ways or in pastoral ways. They need to know that we are there for them, making our prayers not just through our words, but also through actively living out those prayers into their lives. And through it all, as we carry each other through these troubled waters, let us remember that we are never more like you, Jesus, than when we pray and care for others. And as we examine our own lives, help us each to take the time to pause each day to intentionally reflect on your goodness through prayer, to remain in will for your life, for our lives, by seeking contentment, and to rejoice out loud through our words and our actions. For it is in you that we find our greatest treasure, our safest harbor, the most beautiful sanctuary. And when we reflect this to those within our circle, others too will be attracted to the hope that we have, the hope of the gospel. We now pray a special blessing over Pastor JB as he shares your message with us this morning. We give you thanks for Pastor Bill and Pastor Aaron as they too lead celebration and watershed. We give you thanks for the ministry of Pastor Sarah and Pastor Darwin and Pastor Nate. And we are so blessed, too, with a wonderful staff of caring people that continue to minister to us with care and compassion. May our reciprocal prayers of love and support continue to nurture them as they attend to us in a wide variety of ways through their servant hearts out of their love for you compassionate father you are our soul strength and our comfort and we give you thanks in all of this and we ask for the fullness of your blessing in all of these things according to the power of your son jesus christ who is at work within us through the power of the holy spirit we pray these things in your name amen amen thank you pastor mary and good morning, Fusion community. Let's try one more time. Good morning. I heard Wade over there. Your voice just booms. That's good. I wish mine did that. Hey, uh, it's hard to believe that it is um, it's Thanksgiving on Thursday. Amen to that or amen. I don't know. Um, it's Thanksgiving on, on Thursday, and then on Sunday is actually the first Sunday of Advent. And I don't know about you, but around our house, we, uh, we kind of started getting into the spirit. We did our first, we're, we're new, newish homeowners, and so we did our first fall cleanup and hauled all of our leaves to chips landscaping. I, mean, I don't know. Anyway, that's where we took our, chi our chips, our, our leaves. The other thing we did was uh, I put up Christmas lights on the house for the first time. So, you know, hanging over the roof precariously, putting lights on my roof line, all for the sake of Christmas cheer. So drive by our, in our neighborhood and actually don't because it's not that impressive. I'm sure you could find a better house. But this morning we are concluding uh, a four-week mini-series. And by mini, we mean mini, just four weeks. A series we've been calling Elijah, Elijah Elisha, and Jesus. And, and really one of my hopes in this series is that simply that your interest and your curiosity in the Old Testament prophets 
would have just increased ever so slightly. And, and I'm hopeful that that happened the last couple weeks. Uh, four weeks is really not enough time to, to fully explore these two prophets, but, but they did help us explore some of the core values uh, of our fusion worshiping community specifically. And this week we look at another one of those core values, uh, the value of being missional. Missional is kind of a real popular word in kind of church circles right now, but, but what does it mean? Well, I found some language in some documents that, that we put together years ago before I was here, and uh, this is the language that, that, that was put together, missional. We believe the church exists to equip its people to impact their communities and the world with the good news of God's kingdom. Now, there's some big ideas, some big concepts, specifically that last line, the good news of God's kingdom. What a beautiful statement, but, but what exactly does that mean? Well, I think in our passage this morning, Elisha, through the lens of Jesus, helps put some legs on that idea by showing what it might look like in practice. Our passage this morning is, is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. And the reason it's one of my favorites is because it's, it's surprising in how it ends. And it's surprising in all the, all the most Jesus-y ways. Is that a word? I don't think it's a word, but go with me, right? It's, it's, it's really, it really reflects and, and kind of foreshadows the teaching of Jesus. Some quick context. We got a map on the screen. There's been some ongoing tensions between Israel uh, and the nation of Syria. Uh, in our text, it's called Aram. The southern kingdom of Syria was known as Aram. And so these tensions have led to uh, a war uh, between these two nations. Uh, some map for reference, the two cities that we're going to be referencing, Dothan, which is where Elisha is living at this time, and then Samaria, which is only about 11 or 12 miles away to the south. Samaria is the capital city of Israel, which is where the king of Israel resides, his palace would be. So just some reference points. Our passage this morning is, is going to reveal, so listen for some war games, if you will, some divine inter intervention, and then, uh, as I mentioned before, a surprise ending. Uh, but with that, let's get into God's word. If you're willing and able, I invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning, and we stand to honor God as he speaks to us. 2 Kings chapter 6, we'll be reading verses 8 through 23, if you'd like to follow along. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Well, this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, that is Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. 
Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, This is not the road. This is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you join me in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, how your spirit continues to speak to us through the story of your people. Lord, may we once again in this story see our story. And Lord Jesus, how you intersect and lead and guide and move us in a way that leads us more and more into your likeness. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. One of my favorite uh, authors, theologians, is uh, the author-theologian Eugene Peterson. Oh, look at that. There's a picture of me meeting Eugene Peterson. Fancy that. (laughs) Um, Grateful for his work, his ministry. Eugene is now enjoying the glory of of heaven uh, with his Savior, Jesus Christ. But uh, before he passed away, Eugene Peterson wrote uh, a well-known memoir of his life. It's this book here. Uh, In that memoir, in one of the earlier chapters, he tells the story uh, of a boy who was in his first grade class by the name of Garrison Johns. Garrison Johns was the town bully for first graders. And Garrison Johns took a, a, a liking, not so much liking, to Eugene Peterson in the first grade. And for seven months, Garrison Johns tormented Eugene Peterson in, their, in his hometown, little rural town of Montana. Garrison Johns would, 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 after school, would beat up Eugene, Peterson's most, Eugene Peterson most days. And when he found out that Eugene Peterson was a Christian, He taunted him with the phrase, Jesus sissy. Sounds like a bully, huh? Well, this continued on for seven months until March of that school year, and something changes. 
Now, instead of trying to recite and tell the story, Eugene Peterson is such a phenomenal storyteller. I'm just going to read his account of that day when things changed. Eugene Peterson writes, That's when it happened. Totally uncalculated, totally out of character, something snapped within me. For just a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness. Bible verses we're going to talk about today. And I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise and his, I realized that I was stronger than he was. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest, and pinned his arms to the ground with my knees. I couldn't believe it. He was helpless under me. At my mercy, it was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists. It felt good. I hit him again. Blood spurted from his nose, a lovely crimson on the snow. By this time, all the other children were cheering, egging me on. Black his eyes, bust his teeth. A torrent of biblical invective poured from them, although nothing compared to what I would later in life read in the Psalms. And I said to Garrison, say, uncle. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood, more cheering. Now my audience was bringing the best out of me. And then my Christian training reasserted itself. And I said, say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. (laughs) He wouldn't say it. So I hit him again. More blood. I tried again. Say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he said it. Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. (laughs) Eugene Peterson is a phenomenal storyteller. And that story illustrates a lot of things, right? Illustrates how cruel kids can be. Illustrates how we, we waver between our biblical training and upbringing and other things. But I think for us, even as adults, it begs this question about how we live as Christ followers in a broken world. How do we live as Christ followers, particularly when we get met with resistance from others? How do we do this well? What What is this phrase, missional? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Is it being a Jesus sissy, if you will? as Garrison taunted Eugene? Or is it being a Jesus bully and getting him back? Or is it something else? Well, our text, and I guess you understand where I'm going with this, it's not one or two, it's three, but our text, the prophet Elisha and Jesus gives us some clues, but let's begin with the prophet Elisha and our text this morning. Our passage begins Much like other parts of Israel's history in the ancient world, Israel is in a conflict with one of the surrounding nations. This time it's southern Assyria, Aram. And and like often in other times in Israel's story, they have a distinct advantage. What is that advantage? God is on their side, right? God is on their side. Throughout the Old Testament scriptures, this is the key to all of Israel's victories. Whether it's defeating the city of Jericho, or where it's David versus Goliath. It's the fact that God is on the side of his people. And here it begins, again, God on their side. And God is on their side in a unique way. He's, he's giving the prophet Elisha kind of this inside knowledge 
right? Kind of this kind of divine espionage. It's almost like God has planted this divine bug in the quarters of the king of Aram and giving Elisha all of this information about what their strategies are in battle. And this information allows Israel to avoid multiple ambush attacks, which of course upsets the king of Aram. And he asks his his advisors, what is going on? They say it's Elisha. So he sends a strong force to Dothan, where Elisha lives, to capture the prophet Elisha, who has no such earthly army, right? His servant wakes up. Elisha's servant wakes up that morning, and he sees these enemy force intimidating this army of horses and chariots, and he's overwhelmed with fear. And he says, what are we going to do? Elisha then prays. And what he prays is that his servant would have eyes to see reality. That he would have eyes to see reality. And it's a reality that's summed up in Elisha's words of comfort to his servant. And I love these words. Aren't they such a comfort? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. This reality is crucial for what's going to transpire next. That God is with them. That God is for them. Elisha prays that his servant's eyes would be opened and that he would see this reality. And his servant opens his eyes. He looks and he sees an even greater reality. The army of the Lord on the hillside. Horses and chariots of fire. Fire often in the scriptures signifying God's presence. It's God's army like we sang about angel armies, horses and chariots of fire surrounding the hillside. Can you just picture it? Incredible. And friends, that reality that was true for Elisha and the, his servant is true for us today, that God is greater than anyone we might consider our en- enemy. Remember the song last week, my God is so great, my God is so big. There's nothing my God cannot do. That reality is still true for us today. Then the army of Aram approaches. And as this enemy army is approaching, Elisha prays that they would be struck blind. And here they, they're blinded and they stumble into the city of Dothan. They're, they're blinded, they're vulnerable, they're helpless. And Elisha takes this army and says, this isn't where you want to go. Follow me, I'll take you. And they follow him. And where does he, he leads them, stumbling, blind, into the capital city of Israel, Samaria, where the king and the Israel's army is waiting. And here this, this enemy army stumbles right into your city and something unexpected happens. An unexpected command, radical love. You see, the expectation, the expectation, just think about this. Put yourself in the king of Israel's shoes. You have this incredible tactical advantage. You know where your enemies will attack. And then the prophet marches your enemy, the people that you are at war with, blind, stumbling, right into the middle of your capital. They are surrounded. They are helpless. They are served up on a silver platter. What do you think the king would think? And he asks, shall I kill them? Of course he would ask that. Shall I kill them? But he respects the prophet, my father. And Elisha gives the most unexpected answer for this context, for this moment. 
He says, do not kill them. Would you kill those you've you've captured by your own sword or bow? No, set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So that's what the king does. Prepares a feast for his enemies. And when the meal is finished, they are sent back to their master. And you're just reading this and you're thinking, you're like, what? Not your typical ancient battle strategy. And yet we read the very last line of this passage. So the bands of Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. See, there's not many examples of this kind of love shown to an enemy of Israel in the Hebrew scriptures, which is why it's one of my favorite passages. There are a few. In the, in the chapter before, there's Elisha healing the enemy commander, Naaman. You have other examples from Jeremiah 29, where, where the prophet commands the people to invest and pray for the city of their captors in Babylon. You have God sparing Nineveh in the book of of Jonah, but by far this is more the exception, not the rule, particularly in the Hebrew Scriptures. And nothing quite like this, which is why this is one of my favorite passages, because it gives us a taste of the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's a teaching about radical love. Respond to your enemy with radical love. Prepare a meal. Don't give them a radical beatdown, right? Like like the Garrison Johns in the story. Let's look at the teachings of Jesus. Before we get to those teachings of Jesus, we need to understand where where they come from. The new reality offered through Jesus' death and resurrection in the gospel. Jesus gives us a new reality through the gospel. A new reality through the gospel. Again, we need to begin with reality like we did with Elisha because reality frames our response, right? It's only because Elisha knew God was with him and more powerful than his enemy that he was able to pray, boldly pray that they would be blinded and then lead them into the city of Samaria, feed them, and then let them go. You don't do that unless you know that God is on your side and God is leading that. Similarly, the new reality in Christ in the gospel compels us, enables us to live differently as Jesus' disciples. And the reality of the gospel begins the same way it does with, with Elisha, right? Elisha's reality remains true. God is greater. God is stronger. There is nothing my God cannot do. That remains true in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the gospel, in Jesus Christ, we understand the fullness of God's power and love for us because our Lord Jesus came into this earth, and we're about to celebrate this in Advent. It's the greatest miracle ever that the God of heaven and earth came into this earth, took on flesh as a man, born in a manger, grew up, ministered, showed us how to live, gave of his own life in love so that we might have the promise of eternal life, life with God both now and forever. And he did this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us while we were yet his enemies. It's all grace. 
Remember, as Christ is dying on the cross, what does he do? Forgive them, Father. He forgives his persecutors. While Christ is dying on the cross, he promises salvation to a thief who is dying guilty on a cross next to him. Offering this gift of eternal salvation. Friends, the gospel tells us that our future is secure in him. Can I get an amen to that good news? And because of this reality of the gospel that our future is secure, it changes how we view our enemy. It changes how we are able to treat and interact with our enemy because we do so without fear because there is nothing, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And with this reality of the gospel firmly in view, now let's look at Jesus' new command. A new command Jesus gives. Radical love. It's the same, radical love. Not long after Jesus washing his disciples' feet in his final meal in the upper room together, Jesus in John 13 says these words, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's a new command. It's about love. And Jesus elsewhere expands on this command because it's not just about loving one another. It's not just about loving fellow disciples. He's even calling us to love our enemies. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus um, affirms this answer that the greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, and, and affirms that the second command is, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the person who answers asks him a, a follow-up question. He says, well, who is my neighbor? This is where Jesus gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in giving this parable, Jesus Christ tells us that our neighbor is the one we despise. The one we are called to love as ourselves is like the Samaritan who is, was a despised enemy of the Israelite people in the first century. Actually, because of what happens later on in 2 Kings, right? We are to love. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus is even more explicit. These are the words on the screen. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That second line is not in the scriptures. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. What? You see, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ compels us to love radically. Why? Because we've been loved radically. And loving your enemy is, is the most radical of all radical acts of love. But this is what Jesus did for us. It's also important, though, to, to have a more robust understanding of love. You see, too often in our, in our culture, love is, is reduced to, to something like just being nice or polite, being accepting or, or being passive and permissive. This is kind of the image of love in our culture today. 
And if that's what love is, then maybe the name that Eugene Peterson was taunted with, Jesus Sissy, isn't that far off. But God calls us, Jesus calls us to radical love, not, not being a radical sissy. That's childish language, but you understand it's from a childish story, right? Love is not, the love, the radical love Jesus Christ calls us toward is not weak. To love radically requires courage and strength. Matthew 5 Just before the passage we just read, Jesus gives a first century blueprint of what it looks like to love radically. He says this, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? Vengeance, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them your other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now there is maybe a sermon series packed in that one passage right there. But the general idea of all that Jesus is saying, it's all contextual. The general idea is force your persecutor, the one who's coming after you, force them to go beyond what's reasonable or even legal in the first century context, according to Jewish and Roman law. And you make them go beyond that in order to expose and to shed light on their injustice and unjust treatment of you. To strike someone on the right cheek is is you're right-handed, you're backhanding them. It's one of the most disrespectful things you can do in an honor-shame culture. And so to turn the other cheek, you're standing up to the person who's striking you and you say, the other side, that requires a straight-on punch to the other cheek. Are they willing to do that? Maybe, but maybe they might pause. The second instance is you're in the court of law and, and you're legally, you're not able to sue someone for their coat because your coat is the only thing you have to stay warm on those cold desert nights. And so here you are giving over your coat as well and now you're exposed. How ruthless is this person who's suing you able to, willing to go? The third instance is, is this is a, a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier was legally allowed to force someone to carry their equipment for one mile by Roman law. And so by you saying, I'm going to keep going, well, 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 what, what, what do you, I'm not allowed to make you go further. Do you see what's happening? This is contextual. You're, you're highlighting the injustice. It is a bold and radical third way. Instead of fighting back, instead of running away, it is a radical third way. Which brings us to the church today. The church today. What does it look like to radically love, to love radically in our context? And I believe that we are called to to love. We are called to radical third ways. But can we admit something? To think, I mean, it requires uh, an immense Christian or spiritual imagination to dream of ways that are different from the the standard options we're given. Because too often, too often, increasingly today, we're given this fool's choice in in our culture. 
This kind of either or, right? It's this or that. It's, it's, it's right or left or fight or flee or love or hate or accept or reject. For Eugene Peterson in the first grade, it, it's the options. Do I, do I keep avoiding Garrison John? Do I keep finding different ways home? Do I just keep trying to get away from him to avoid the whole thing altogether? Or seven months later, is it me snapping and fighting him and beating him to a pulp? What if there's a third way? In Matthew 5, Jesus shows us a third way in the first century context. Now, let's admit that first century strategies might not work in the 21st century. But I think they inspire us as Christians to think with spiritual imagination of new ways to love radically that highlight injustice, that, that make our, our, our enemies pause and think like, this is different. This is the kind of thinking that inspired the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King Jr. was inspired by this kind of nonviolent resistance and it turned the tide of the civil rights movement because it was powerful when you saw someone doing nothing being sprayed with fire hoses. When you saw someone sitting at a food counter having food dumped on them, it was jarring and it woke us up as a nation. Now, please, I'm not trying to compare what we're going through now with that, but in our circumstances, it requires an imagination, a creativity guided by a genuine love for others. How can I love my neighbor in a way that will make them pause, think, and by God's grace, maybe even change? It's not hate. It's love. Because here's the thing. To love radically is to live missionally. It's not the only thing, but it's a big part of it. We bring the good news of the kingdom when we love our neighbors radically like Jesus has loved us. Because when we love, we help others see Christ through our acts of love. Elisha prayed that his servant's eyes would be open, that he would see the reality of God's presence in their midst, our heart's desire, if our heart's desire is for our neighbors to see the reality of God's presence, and I pray that it is, on our best days it should be, right? Then we should radically love like Christ so that they will, we will help them see the love of Christ. And in seeing and experiencing Christ, by God's grace, the Spirit can change lives and change hearts. Recently, the Church of Jesus Christ has, has gotten a lot of attention. Often, though, it's, it's for all the wrong reasons, right? And, and maybe some of the criticism is a, is a generalization or not getting the full picture or a caricature. Uh, I get that. But let's also be honest and admit that, that some of the criticism has been fair, because when the church of Jesus Christ comes off as selfish or petty or even bullyish, that is not a good witness for our Lord Jesus Christ. And pinning down the Garrison Johns in our lives, pinning down our enemies and, and in the snow, punching them in the face till their face is bloodied and beaten, that's not going to lead anyone to Christ. And on the other side of it, if, if we just are always hiding or avoiding, 
that's not going to lead anyone to Christ. And, and, on the other, and, and the other piece of that, if we're, if we're buddying up or we're trying to become just like the Garrison Johns and our enemies in our life, that's not going to lead anyone to Christ either. Instead, we have to dream with a spiritual imagination to be creative, to find third ways of Jesus Christ. This week in the sermon blog, there's, there's an example, and I, we don't have time to go into it, but a man by the name of Daryl Davis. Listen to that story uh, this week. African-American man who befriended members of the KKK, and in those friendships, people changed their views Talk about radical. My prayer is that we as a church would receive attention for things that bring life to our community. That we'd receive attention for providing a safe place for kids to do schoolwork when they are suspended from school. That we would be a place that is known for, for being a safe place for, for kids after school to hang out where they'll be loved and they'll be nurtured and ministered to, that we would be a place that would be known for how we love and support our community through things like the Christmas store and housing assistance, that we would be a place, a church known for how well our members are cared for when tragedy strikes, that the community surrounds them and that their neighbors would take notice that this person is not alone but there is a community surrounding them and loving them, a place where we belong, even when we don't have things figured out, even when we're questioning, but this is our home, this is where we wrestle with those things. And friends, these are all things that are true right here at Heart Awake Ministries. And they're true because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a gospel of grace. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm less interested in grandstanding on specific issues and more interested with standing right beside people who are hurting and broken. Being the good news of the kingdom, may we be known for the gospel, known as a people who radically love while holding fast to the truth and reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a gospel of grace for people who are sinners, me included you included. Friends, one of the ways that we hold fast, hold fast to this truth and reality of the gospel is through this table that's right before us. The table of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we gather around a shared table because of our oneness in him. So I was preparing this morning, I, I just, I don't know why I didn't notice it before, but what was it that changed the trajectory of the conflict between Israel and Aram? It was a table. A table around rich and bountiful food changed the trajectory of Israel's conflict with Aram. And it's around this table that people of different stripes, people who, who, who 
come from different backgrounds and different walks of life. It's around this table that we gather as one because of the work of Jesus Christ. Communion is a reminder of that gift of grace found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, a reminder of, uh, that our Lord made a way to reconcile sinners to himself. It was the ultimate act of radical love. Jesus Christ pouring out his love, willingly laying down his life for his enemies. Bearing the weight of our sin and our failure. And in what seemed like the end, death. Three days later, victory. He rose from the grave, conquering that final enemy of death. A radical new third way, right? To reconcile people to God. It's around this table that we're amounted that the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That we all deserve death, but in Christ we've been given life both now and forever. It's around this table that we are strengthened and encouraged to find creative ways to love others in the same way Christ has loved us. It's around this table that we're reminded, nourished, and sustained by his grace, empowered to live and love more like our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we come to the table of the Lord. We receive this gift in faith, standing on the firm foundation of the gospel that gives us hope both for today, for tomorrow, and forever. Will you join me in a brief word of prayer? Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for this table. We thank you, Lord, for this tangible reminder of your love and your grace. That Jesus Christ, you willingly laid your life down while we were yet sinners, while we were yet far off. And Lord, as we prepare our hearts to come to this table, Lord, we do so purely by the grace of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, may we participate in full knowledge that this is a gift we receive in faith, not because of anything we've done to deserve or earn it. Meet us, Lord, in our need. Meet us in our brokenness and bring healing once again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, as you take that film off on the top first, want to avoid spilling any juice. Get that all prepared. We as a community remember that the Lord Jesus Christ, the night he was betrayed, he, he took bread. And after giving thanks to God, he broke it gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. We partake in the bread, we partake in the cup in faith 
believing in the gracious gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, the power to forgive our sins. So family of God, take and eat. Remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all of your sins. Take, drink, remember, and believe that the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for a complete forgiveness of all of your sins. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord God, Lord, as we partake in this meal, we remember once again, Lord, the extent of your love. We remember, Lord, that, that you knowing what was ahead, you willingly laid your life down. You willingly suffered because, Lord, this was the way to bring life to each of us. Lord, we didn't deserve it as we sang earlier. We, we, we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But Lord, because of your love, your grace, Lord, you freely give. Lord, it's so easy to forget the extent of your grace. And so, Lord, we just pause and we, we remember and we thank you. That, Lord Jesus, you died, you rose again so that we might have life today and life forever. Lord, may that reality compel us to love in the ways that we've been loved. Lord, that's not easy, but only by the power of your Spirit can we live in any way that is a reflection of Jesus Christ. We praise you. We thank you for this gift. We thank you for what it means for our lives now and forever. And we praise you for your wonderful, radical love. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I invite you to stand as you're able. Join us in this closing song.
think about Jesus' call in our lives, without this, without the reality of the gospel, we can't do any of that. And so if you leave with one thing this morning, remember how deep the Father's love is for you. That our Lord Jesus was willing to lay his life down. And may that good news of God's grace inform and lead us in this life. As you go from here, receive God's blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace. 